<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. So if you've been listening to this show long enough, then you probably know I got my start in podcasting about seven years ago with the Internet History Podcast. I did 200 episodes. My book, How the Internet Happened, came out of that podcast. And in many ways, this podcast came out of that whole project. But I haven't done an episode of IHP in over a year. Folks kept asking me if it was dead, and I was like, it's not dead. When I find the time, when someone is available that I couldn't resist talking to, I would do more episodes. Well, that time is now. Joshua Schachter is mostly known these days as a prominent angel investor, but his original claim to fame is as the founder of Delicious, one of the sites and startups that convinced me and a lot of other people that the internet space wasn't dead in the wake of the whole dot-com bubble bursting. So consider this in the spirit of the Weekend Long Reads, a profile of a key startup and key entrepreneur that got the web and the world to where we are today. I'm just going to drop the full Internet History Podcast episode in here now. If you like what you here and you've never listened to the Internet History Podcast, you're in luck. Something around 300 hours of binging is waiting for you. Internet History Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. So yeah, it's been a while. Over a year, in fact, since we did an episode of the show. Thank you, all of you who asked me when this podcast was coming back. Asked me if it was dead. It is not dead. It was just resting. I kept saying that when I found the time and when someone approached me that I absolutely couldn't refuse, I would take this out for a spin once again, and here we are, and for very good reason. Joshua Schachter, founder of Delicious, is someone I've wanted to talk to from the very first day of this project. As we'll discuss, Delicious was such a standard bearer of the Web 2.0 era of user-generated content, of sharing long before Facebook or Twitter or any of that. If my email chain is to be believed, this episode has been over five years in the making, and I'm glad Josh and I finally found the time to put this together and have this conversation. As ever, if you've missed me, I don't know why you have. I do a podcast every single day on tech news. It's called the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Search for Ride Home, and you should be able to find it. In the meantime, thank you, Josh, for getting this show out of quasi-retirement. Please enjoy. Joshua Schachter, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Good to be here. It's been a long time coming. Um, it's, in fact, I, I kind of forget how I <laughs> used to go into these. Uh, but the best way to do it often is, like, uh, do you remember the first time, what was your first exposure to either the internet or the web? The internet would have been, uh, as an undergraduate, was sort of before the web. Um, I remember, you know, I used Usenet. Um, CMU had a fairly active um, internal Usenet, which they called bulletin boards, B-boards. Mm-hmm. Um we had instant messaging at school and across a couple of universities um, before, you know, it was a, it was a thing out of MIT called Zephyr that was uh, sort of years before IM was, was popular. Uh, I remember Gopher and mm-hmm. FTP sites and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I, you know, it was a couple of years, I was online a couple of years before uh, uh, I saw a web browser which was, I remember I was at, I was in, 
I was in Wien Hall at CMU, which was um, uh, because they had the, the the deck stations with the really big monochrome screens, so tons of text. You know, it was like 1024 by 768, which is gigantic for the era. And uh, they had these giant screens, and I was there, and I saw someone who was got the, had this crazy application, like you know, like you know, I mean, it was the, the the computers had graphics, but they weren't like the stuff you did wasn't very graphical, right? It was just you know X terms, uh, and you were editing text mostly. And I remember seeing someone scrolling through, uh, you know, something with pictures and stuff. And I'm like, what's that? And then they're like, oh, this is Mosaic. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, I actually do remember the first time I saw a web browser. Well, and that's interesting because, you know, again, there were things like Gopher and stuff at the time. So that, you know, I, other people have said that. They're like, it, the web was introduced to me as Mosaic, as maybe, you know, this was this. It, I might have known it was a client, but I thought this was this other thing that was mostly involved with pictures and things like that. Um, I, I mean, I, I figured out what was, go- how it worked. And like, I ended up setting up a web server. Like I, I had saved up over the summers and bought myself like a used spark station, spark one. And, and I had a machine. So it wasn't just that, that I was a user, but I could actually have a place to run, um, administrative tools and so on. So I actually downloaded, NCSA, HTTPD, and, mm, you know, mm. you know, within a year, I was like, you know, what's a CGI script? And what's yeah, a, yeah. Um, you know, how do I build this stuff? Um, and, I, I, you know, how do, I, how do I run a web server? That kind of stuff. So very early on, I sort of figured out what the web was a protocol um, and not, you know, mosaic. What were you, what were you putting on that server? Um, home directories and, and, you know stuff like that. It wasn't super anything sophisticated. I remember we we um, we got listed on the NCSA What's New page mm-hmm. as a student student server. You know, a million years ago. Um, you know, like very early on. Um, you know, there wasn't that much to do. It was mostly text. Um, we made uh, a friend of mine made in a, the, the official internet shit list. And anyone could add things to the shit list. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of a poor architectural design, um, uh, it ruined itself fairly quickly. So we took that down. Um, so, so you know, we built a bunch of sort of weird garbage to play with it. Um, you, you were going to school for electrical and uh, computer engineering, right? Yeah. Um, if this is not if this is uh, jumping over stuff too much, you you end up on Wall Street, right? Uh, in your career, or did you do any sort of did you dabble in any sort of like you know, uh, let let me start a, a small design firm or something like like everyone was doing sort of side gigs like that on the web. And those- um, I ended up at a bank doing, you know, running the web stuff for a bank. Mm. Um, what what then- what sort of year would that be? That would have been ninety six. Mm. So, um, and then um, I ended up uh, getting recruited out of that fairly quickly, um, leaving Pittsburgh and getting recruited to New York City, uh, not doing web stuff really at all, um, at a at a brokerage. When you um, when you say that the 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 banks were doing web stuff early on, were it was it just the sort of we're putting up a placeholder here? Or I, I think I've gone into this with a couple people in the past. Like it wasn't, it was a few years before anyone was like bold yeah, enough was to not, try to put accounts and stuff like that. And it was and, not online banking. Yeah, um, it was it was just a web page. Um, you know, and, and by ninety seven, I you know I got like I said I, in ninety seven, early ninety seven, I think I got recruited to to uh, a brokerage and moved to New York city and was doing, started doing financial stuff um, and wasn't doing public web stuff at all. Were you uh, a quant as the, the term is? Um, I was started as a developer um, working for a trading desk. And then I left that bank and went to Morgan Stanley and I was a quant. Mm. Um, all right. So then again, uh, please interrupt me if I'm missing anything important here, but um and I actually don't. I actually don't know the chronology here um, in terms of 
meme pool and and geo url i'm assuming meme pool came first right that's still in the 90s yeah i think i started meme pool in 1998 or so um uh it was you know meme pool was a very early i guess would have been called blog um however that word didn't that didn't exist there wasn't rss feeds um i ended up uh i think when i wrote it in 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 97 or 98, like SQL databases weren't easily available. So I had to write my own sort of faux database um, to, to, to generate the site. Um, and um, it, uh, yeah, so, so 97, I think I did GRL in, in the early 2000s. Um, so much later. Okay, right. So then let's let's focus on on meme pool right now because it, it yeah. the way in in my poking around what I could find about it 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 sounded to me like a link blog like just things where it's like hey I found something interesting here you go. Yeah, it was it was sort of a very terse blog. It wasn't a link blog. It wasn't one link per, but it was just a, a couple of links in a short paragraph with a couple of you know twenty or so authors. Um, and it was fairly big in its day. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I think at one point it was doing a million hits a month when that was right. actually like pretty right. substantial. Right. Um, and uh, uh, an edgy magazine that I won't name tried to hire me, mm. um, you know, to do the same th- sort of thing for them. Um, so, you know, it was, it was basically, you know, the weird edges of the internet. When, uh, if this is like 98, 99 or whatever, are you throwing up, um, you know, banner ads and stuff? I mean, that, that was kind of hard to do because there weren't networks and stuff even uh, for a long time where you could just throw banner ads and stuff up. But was that earning you any money at all or was it just a thing? No, I, we, never, we never did ads. Um, so it was just, uh, you know, it was always, I, I always uh, wasn't sure what the, the issues would be with having a job. Uh, at the same time as earning money elsewhere, especially when you're in finance. So I just didn't do it. Uh, well, and also, th- this is the time period where that was a that was a huge controversy, the idea that someone could be outed for having this website <laughs> in the background that maybe your boss wouldn't approve of or something like that. You weren't, you weren't doing it pseudonymously, were you? No, I wasn't. Um, uh, I did it as a, you know, I didn't keep it secret. Um, I, I, you know, at, um, uh, at, uh, at the first company in New York, uh, I didn't tell anyone, but, but later on, like when I was at Morgan, nobody cared that much. Um, but, it, you know, Meme Pool was already getting sort of long in the tooth, um, at that point. Um, I went to Morgan, I think in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, so... They didn't. They didn't care too much, and I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention to it. Um, in two thousand one, two thousand two thousand one, I started building a tool. So what happened is that that people would send in links into Mempool, um, like, "Hey, write about this," and and they, you know, many of them were interesting. And I'm like, "This is good. I'll I'll write this up at some point," and I'd put it in a text file. Um, and I had this ended up having this this twenty thousand line text file um, uh, that had you know lots of interesting things in it, and I you know uh, that sort of turned into uh, a thing I built called Muxway, which was uh, Delicious's predecessor. Um, it was essentially it was essentially the same, except it had more functionality than D- Delicious itself did. Um, uh, it had, like, for example, it could pull the pictures out of a page and show them visually, which was kind of cool. Uh, I sort of regret not following up on that uh, because we know Pinterest came from that same sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I built this, you know, I, I, I sort of paid more attention to Muxway, you know, and that was probably 2000, 2001. In 2002, I started writing Delicious. Um, which was a multi, you know, after I saw that, that Muxway was getting more, you know, and so basically Muxway was very similar to delicious. You would, you would be on a page, you'd click a bookmarklet, it would grab the item into the page. Um, and then you'd tag it. Right. Um, which is, we, we should stop and, and, and hit on that for a second. Um, 
so the idea of of tagging it was just for your own self organization correct and, and that came out of that text file in fact um you know the text file um basically had um you know it, it was just one link on a line and then sometimes i would write a comment um which is a hash mark in unix lingo i would put a comment and then type in some notes maybe some text um but often it was just a single word so i remember i remember um when wi-fi started to be a thing and i was like oh that's an interesting article about wi-fi you know so i would paste the url and then i would hit space and then write hash wi-fi and i remember a, a friend of mine sent me a thing and said, hey, have you heard about this Wi-Fi thing? And I'm like, yeah, I've been tracking it for a bit. Here's everything I've collected. And I, you know, you grep, which is, you know, search, grep, um, Wi-Fi links, links being the text file. And um, uh, I would get, you know, nine links and I just pasted it to to the other person. Um, and that's sort of the the key idea behind tagging. So very early on, I think the first tag thing that is tagged with a single word, uh, something is 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 hash math. Mm. Um, some mathematics thing. I could probably look at the file. And then the and then the way it would work is, you know, if if things had multiple tags, like that's how you. Was there any sort of hierarchy to it, like where, um, if if there's eleven things tagged with Wi-Fi, one is higher than the other, or is it it's just returning everything? It, it was just a bag of things. There was mm -hmm. no, um, there was no order to the collection other than time. Um, but I mean, I you know I've spoken at length before about the idea of ideas being in the ether, just being in the zeitgeist and things like that. And um, as I'm sure we'll talk about, like th this, you know, tagging and taxonomies and things like that man that suddenly was everywhere for a couple years and like so and obviously i, I, I mean ahead. tagging tag I, I i the tagging came in delicious sort of very early on like i didn't it didn't you know like there was taxonomy is not a thing i invented but for the most mm -hmm. part like it didn't i didn't get inspired in that from somewhere else there was no other progenitor of using the list of words you know what i mean like everything else was mm -hmm. folders and that kind of stuff at the time so what what prompts you to put it up uh, as a website uh as delicious well i mean the the what happened was um you know like i said i i sent i pasted the list of wi-fi links to somebody and then i sort of realized that like i wish i could just give them a url to my list my list of things Right. So when I built Muxway, it was actually a public thing. Anyone could go in and look at it. And at some point, I realized that that um, Muxway actually had more traffic than Meeple did um, mm -hmm. from people reading my links. Mm -hmm. um, so when despairing about what to do about Meeple, um, you know, I was trying to think about how to, to reinvigorate Meempool using some something from the Muxway idea. That sort of spawned um, spawned Delicious, right? Um, it ended up being sort of more Friendster, you know, between Friendster and uh, uh, Muxway, you know, the social aspect. Um, although it was a very soft social aspect. Yeah, so actually, I was thinking about that um, in terms of you know what we're talking about here, and what maybe we will talk about a lot is the the, the whole Web 2.0 idea, and you know I'm still not entirely sure what that was, but go on. Yeah, I'll have you speak to that eventually. Um, the the idea I was trying to think, you know, the the idea being that when the when the web sort of took off in the in the '90s, it was a lot of well, you can put things on here, you can put pictures, you can read things, you can buy things on here. I was trying to think of what what delicious, you know. I, I remember being a delicious user. What it was to me was, oh, I'm it's it, sort of the hive mind sort of concept that we're so familiar with now. That I want to see what everyone else thinks about whatever this or what's important for this topic that everyone else thinks is important things like that and i was trying to think 
you know, that idea of reaching into someone else's mind, the only, the thing that came to me was, was Napster where you would reach into someone else's music library. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea being that with delicious, I could, I was reaching into other people's minds. Um, I'm not, I'm sure that's not exactly what you were thinking of. No, that's, that's sort of literally the idea is, was understanding it as uh, a kind of exo memory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, the, the, my idea, which I never, you know, really got to, to deeply execute on because Yahoo, but, um, uh, the idea was that, that, you know, you memorize something and then you recall it later. And why does, why does it have to be the same person in both of those, um, events, right? So someone else can memorize something and you recall it later, right? So, so the, the idea of, um, group memory um, became very, I mean, that was the thing that we, we explored very early on was having a um, uh, work group version of Delicious. Um, but also, speaking of things like being of the moment, and, and this was in the ether, like it's the wisdom of crowd things, you know, Wikipedia is only a few years old at this point, And obviously things like Flickr come around at the same point. So, Again, my memory of it is the the powerfulness of it was feeling like I could, again, this is something that I feel like we we take for granted now, but I could I, I could go find a resource and expertise that I didn't have to like know the provenance of. I just trusted that like this sort of aggregation of ideas um, was sort of if there was enough of it, it, it was it was good to some extent that I could trust it and, and find value in it. Yeah. And, and I actually had built stuff in the system again, wasn't able to really release it, but the idea of measuring people's skill at organization or expertise, Mm. um, was explicitly a thing that, um, uh, that we, we were thinking about. Um, well, actually we should back up for a second because I always find this valuable uh, to describe if I were, if I opened up a web browser in 2004 and I went to delicious, um, describe for me what I could do, what it looked like, what, what it, what I would function as, would I, would I use it? Would you expect me to use it and then immediately leave? Cause I found what I was looking for a search engine. How, how did it function if I was there in 2004? So in 2004, it would have been very rough. Um, uh, that, that sort of before, um, I think before I took venture money. So, so actually in 2004, there's a good chance it would have been down, uh, simply because it was, it was down a lot, um, uh, given the amount of traffic that we got. Um, so the, you know, in general, uh, a given, website is is dominated by people consuming data right this user generated content right most people are reading a much smaller proportion are creating it um whereas on delicious the vast majority of users were there for their own memory and their own memory use so it was something like 50 50 instead of like 90 10 or 99 1 um so um you know you'd go there there'd be a web page um uh showing some subset of recently bookmarked things that people had shared um uh and often people would just go there and see interesting stuff and click it and that's it that's their entire use of the site just um you know in you know it wasn't just random links it was random links that someone somewhere found interesting um, the other thing that was heavily trafficked was the popular page, um, where I actually, it wasn't actually, it was like the first derivative of popularity. It's not what's most popular, but what was most popular recently. Um, and apparently that ended up, um, uh, being a huge, uh, uh, inspiration for Reddit, mm-hmm. um, later on. Um, but that's, that's where people looked at stuff. Um, there were top tags of the day, which were, which were actually always pretty stable. Um, and you could go look at what's popular within a given tag. Um, and that also, 
Um, you know, that was sort of a, you know, for a given, like if you were into Java, what are the top Java links for today? Like you could see 10 interesting, you know, almost guaranteed interesting links for whatever topic you could, you could identify. And, and as a, as a contributor, I, I'm creating an account that allows me to tag things and, and add them myself. Well, it wasn't, you weren't a contributor, right? I mean, yes, you, you contributed to the, the mass as a, um, as you know, as part of doing what you're doing, but largely people were doing it to save items for themselves, right? So you would sign up, it would give you a bookmarklet, which was fairly hard to install. Um, so that that you know, people who were not sufficiently technically savvy um, couldn't get it working. Um, so that that caused a certain bias in the user base. Um, but basically, you'd, you'd install the bookmarklets, then you'd go to some random web page, like, ah, you know, I'm going to save this for later. And you'd, you'd, you'd fire the bookmarklet, um, and it would pop into Delicious, into a form on Delicious with the page already filled out, the, pa the URL and the title in a form, and then you would, the cursor was already put in, um, put in the notes, or put in the in the tags area, and you could you could say so you would click the button and say this is about Java and web. Hit return, and it would drop pop you right back into the page. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. I remember having that bookmark and the the stumble upon bookmarklet and um yeah. it, what about the idea of being able you know, I, I'm talking about getting into people's heads the idea of following what other people were bookmarking? Following came later. Um, we did, you know, it's interesting. We built, we built a version, a more social version. Um, that would have been 05 or 06. Um, we did have the inbox where you could subscribe to a tag, a person slash tag, or a person. Um, and we sort of renamed that to following. That was our, the, the inbox was always a problematic um, just architecturally very difficult to work with. Um, but, uh, um, 
yeah, basically you could follow, you could see what other people were doing. We didn't call it follow at the time, um, but we did, it was asymmetric follow, um, which, which wasn't really a thing in the social web until, you know, Twitter became big, right? right? In, in the past, you know, you would add someone as a friend and they had to accept you. Um, uh, so we did, we did follow, but it wasn't, you know, just follow any source of stuff. Basically, I want to I want to contextualize again. So we're talking 2004, 2005. We'll talk about in a second, um, you know, you taking VC money and and trying to really professionalize this. But um, yeah, we took VC money in 05, early 05. Right. The 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 idea being that, again, uh, you know, Friendster's there and there's things like AIM where, you know, you have to make these connections. you, you have to, both sides have to agree or whatever. Um, but things like Flickr, things like this, where again, you're saying it's asynchronous like Twitter, where it's like, I, Asymm- I don't, as- asymmetric, but r- right. On. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, I only have to, I only have to, you didn't call it following, but th- whatever this tag is that, that I'm, if I'm interested in Java, uh, I can just, uh, we're using the term now, follow it. Uh, yeah. subscribe to it, you do whatever. Subscribe. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so that idea that again, it's almost like the, the interests and the memes, um, sort of self organize themselves and, and you find the, you find what you're interested in. And then that's how you're, it, it's the first thing that I can remember of your self organizing your interests. And we do that for all of media now where it's, you know, it's not the, the days are long gone where we all listen to the same radio station or, or watch the same TV shows or whatever. Yeah. Everything is now I'm curating my own interests and my own whatever. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, if you think about what's happened with media, um, you know, the, basically the, the, things are exploding into their constituent pieces, right? Um, you know, remember, remember when YouTube got big, this would have been five Oh six, right. Um, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to see something funny, you'd watch Saturday night live. And what happened was that the only, the funny bits from Saturday night live, which, you know, were less than the whole, um, would end up on YouTube and and you, you, someone would email you a link to a YouTube video like, ah, look at this, and it's just the funny scene, right? So this is sort of happening with everything, right? Um, newspapers exploded into articles um, and journalists, and you see that now in 2020, right? Um, journalists are leaving newspapers to start their own brand because the aggregation isn't necessarily more valuable than, um, you know, you can sort of think of it as, as, as um, you know, peak Right. So when you, you know, if you're buying industrial power or industrial bandwidth, you're only billed on like the top 95 percent. Right. Your value is only the top peak traffic that that thing got. Right. The, the most popular thing that you wrote recently. So um, figuring out, um, you know, how to navigate that world means that that media started exploding into smaller more mobile pieces, right? So it only sort of makes sense that if there's lots more pieces, um, previously the people who were creating the content were also organizing it. Um, but now there's so much more of it that, that there is a, the, this curator role that lots of people play, tastemakers and, and heavy retweeters and so on and so forth, right? So you, you don't just subscribe to content makers, but you subscribe to, to these create uh these these influencers influencers yeah yeah um yeah the so as we said uh i i guess you you quit your day job at morgan stanley in early 2005 um so delicious started getting a ton of traffic yeah yeah um and but and we should say uh word of mouth like you're not there's you're not investing anything in like advertising or marketing or anything um I, i i think so no, I'm not using traditional media marketing in any way. And this is actually how I met um, Paul Graham, where he wrote an essay saying, uh, and I remember because it was called The Submarine, where you know Delicious was just in an article by Business Week, and 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 it says that they're a new growing blah blah blah. But what I learned from this is that Delicious hired a PR agency, and I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> I I 
I didn't because I didn't have any money. Um, um, however, I was sort of very deliberate that anytime I made things that um, like someone was organizing their stuff on Delicious, it, it was at least somewhat obvious that they were using Delicious to do it. So, you know, if, if whatever they were doing was the message, I was always the subcarrier. Hmm. Right. So if you um, had, you know, like, like I had a thing that you would put your, and, and, and again, in 2020, this doesn't fly at all, but you, you would put your, your blog username and password into Delicious, and it would once a day post your bookmarks to your blog with the links to the thing. And mm -hmm. if you tag them, links back to Delicious, right? Um, if you had a blog widget that that showed, you know, what you were doing or your, you know, whatever, it would link back to Delicious, right? So, there, so Delicious was always the carrier for the actions that you would take on it, right? Um, you know, I, there we I made the the save this button, right? So you would you remember the little the little button yep. save this on delicious, right? I actually wrote the original patent on that. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't, um, because I, I've, I've talked about this before where all of a sudden there were dig this and uh, saved, you know. That, yeah, yeah, that came, that came from, from delicious. You right, know, that, so, was, that was just a version of the bookmarklet. I realized you could put that link just in the page. And then, and the idea was that that would be a, um, a user acquisition method because it would say, okay, you're trying to save this. Why don't you, you don't have an account. Why don't you sign up? Um, the reality was nobody clicked on those. That was more of a, um, uh, a performative thing from the, uh, the role of the publishers, which was please save this. This is a thing we would like you to save and mm -hmm. share. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I mean, a surprising number of those things from that era came from delicious, right? The save this button, the having right. the username in the URL directly after the domain name. Um, you know, it's sort of gone now, but lots of YouTube features were sort of modeled on the way Delicious did stuff. Twitter yeah, still but, is, you know. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the stupid like button, which, uh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> believe me, I'm not trying to be pejorative or blame you for this, but there's a direct lineage between that. What you're describing is you're sharing your intentionality and your interests and so, well, the the like button itself, um, you know, in in a um, Facebook page or whatever, where that where you would click like on something, that actually came from FriendFeed. I'm talking right, about right. in some other site. Right, right, right. Where, where, yeah. right? It's embedded, and it's like right. You're you're describing a growth hack where um, you, you, it's it's in the sense that the, the publisher thinks that by doing this they're going to increase their distribution yeah and they, they didn't no yeah. one used them i mean that's right. that's the good news because um they were sort of ugly um but you know it was a thing people tried but it, it came from us originally um all right so early 2005 uh is it, it, it it's it's taking off in the sense that you're like are people telling you you, you could make a business out of this are, are, are people knocking I, on your door to give you money what's happening the, the site is growing is doubling in size every couple of weeks or a month and the site is always down um you know people are giving us hardware um so um i mean uh so so i knew it was growing enormously um, and then VCs sort of, I got a couple of pings from VCs and I started exploring that. So early 2005. Um, and it's right around, I started talking to them uh, a couple of months before the Flickr acquisition, because I remember the Flickr acquisition getting done while I was at talking to VCs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then we started, we actually had, um, we got acquired while we were in talks with VCs to raise a second round. Um, because you know the the numbers of that day were much 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 smaller. You know, I right. gave up. And, and you're ahead. here in New York, right? Because I, I I you took you took money from uh, Union Square, right? I um, yeah. So there's also the yeah, whole. So it, was, it was it was Union Square and Amazon, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, but what I'm trying to point out is there's still that idea of um, New York is a different place where it's harder to raise, and you know, um, it was also a world I wasn't really at all familiar with. Um, I was largely disconnected. You know, I, I, I was in finance, but I didn't, you know, I didn't talk to, to, to 
VCs at all. I didn't know any at the time. Well, it's also it's also a compressed period of time. I think you quit your day job in like March, and then the sale to Yahoo is in December. So in that yeah, n- nine so months- I I had been talking to VCs for months, and then finally when they um uh when they when we reached an agreement on the term sheet, I quit my job on a Friday, signed the paperwork, started Delicious on a Monday. And uh, hired people or like how, how big did the we, team get? Or We started hiring people. Um, I think we had seven or eight people max. So um, on, someone to do ops. Um, I, we actually did a tiny acquisition and to hire the guy who built that, who had built a, built a tagging version of um, Craigslist um, that used tags. Um, uh, we had, you know, a couple of engineers. Um, ops was super important because the site was down all the damn time. Um, just, just you know, anytime we'd we'd buy we'd buy servers. I'd call up Dell, figure out what was cheap enough, buy it, rack it, set it up, and then immediately the capacity would be filled. Like, like it would last a week, and then we'd have to buy servers again. Um, and and you're physically installing them. There's no AWS. There's no push button. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there was there. I mean, I remember when I put my hand into the fan at the top of the rack and caught a fan blade under a fingernail and had to get a tetanus shot. I mean. Uh, I literally anointed that machine with blood. Um, uh, which I still have in, in a box in the basement, actually. That was uh, Mark Andreessen had sent a server out of the blue. Uh, so I was trying to set that up. But it ended up costing me a ton because it didn't have enough parts to actually run. <laughs> he, has a, he has priors for doing that. I think they were sending the Yahoo guys servers from Netscape early on and... Uh, um, or maybe it was the reverse. Maybe it was... Yeah, yeah I don't remember. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Um, so in the nine months where, okay, we're going to, we're taking some money, we're going to do uh, a business out of this. What, what, do you have any idea of a business model, business plan? So we were just trying to keep the site up for the most part, like maybe add features sometimes. Um, you know, we were able to do a bunch of sort of little superficial stuff. Like we built a thing that turned a set of bookmarks of MP3s into a podcast. 
and all sorts of things like that. But that that wasn't core engineering. Like I was basically doing core engineering to bring the thing to scale over and over again. Um, uh, it just it grew so fast. Um, we thought about doing advertising or something like that. Um, but li- I mean, literally, we raised in March. Um, spent most of the time trying to scale the thing. Um, start, you know, and we had like a bunch of employees and stuff. And I was trying to figure out how to um, uh, how to hire. We started raising again, uh, sort of six months later. Um, that went pretty poorly. Um, uh, you know, uh, what's it? It wasn't clear that Google was going to be the blockbuster hit that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bunch of a bunch of VCs were like, "This is just search. Why is that interesting?" Um, which is, you know, in retrospect, hilarious. Even that um, late, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I did a I did a week on uh, Sand Hill Road, which is where all the VCs are. Um, we ended up getting two term sheets: one from a New York fund and one from a San Francisco fund. And even you know, the first the first fund of del- funding in delicious was like a $1 million on a $3 million uh, valuation, which you, you never see anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Even, even not climbing aggressively growing companies are raising, you know, at 10 or 12 pre-money valuation um, frequently. Um, so, so, you know, we ha- hadn't raised very much. I'd already given a bunch of way of the company away. And then uh, the the big guys got wind that we were trying to raise again, and then they came in and, and started nosing around. So I think it was Microsoft that expressed an interest, and it ended up being uh, Yahoo that um, uh, ended up making an attractive offer. But I, I had something like 10 or 12 or 15 offers along the way. Um, I mean, Yahoo had made an offer before I started it as a company, that was basically a sort of nice job offer. Um, I mean, luckily, I was working at a job that that paid well, and I didn't have to be forced into a choice. So, well, uh, a mutual friend of ours, I reached out to him to ask me what to ask you, and or ask him what to ask you, uh, and he said, uh, "What was the meeting with Jeff Weiner like in the wood paneled Allen and Co offices?" <laughs> Like, what was the pitch from Yahoo, or what? What made you uh, go with them? I mean, I I was very frazzled at the time. Like, the site was always down. Um, it was just you know, so there was a lot about you know, we'll help you scale, we'll help you, we have resources and so on and so forth. Um, and I was I was burned. Um, I mean, I remember once uh, I was on a plane. Um, I had a I had a a, a T-Mobile like a danger sidekick hip top. I forget what it was called, but that little flippy phone with a full keyboard. And I had a SSH client on it and I had the site had gone down and I was trying to bring it back up. uh, And I'm typing on this tiny little, little tiny terminal. And um, the airline attendant is, is standing over me like, sir, you have to turn off your phone. And I'm like, one second, please. And I think, uh, I think I ran the script to reboot the site and then I, I turned off the thing and the site didn't come back up. So the site was down the entire time I was in the air, um, you know, three or four hours and it just had to wait, you know? So, uh, and of course I'm, I'm upset the entire time because I, I failed everybody, you know? Um, so yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, it was, it was just, I was, I was frazzled. Um, well, what I, what I'm trying to get towards is, why Yahoo? And I'm going to, I'm, I, if you'll forgive me, I will contextualize because people forget this, that after the bubble bursts, um, like, you know, eBay is one of the big winners and survivors, but also Yahoo in this period does sort of resurrect itself with this sort of like Hollywood for a new generation model. It wasn't very technical, but it worked. They, they, they this, came this is, But this is before some of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, like Google was already dominant. I mean, I mean, I remember Yahoo sort of already not being a thing by the time they did the acquisition. Mm. Um, uh, you know, they, you know, and again, this is this is to me a New Yorker, not in 
not in tech in the same way that Silicon Valley was, right? Um, like I remember I had lost access to my Yahoo email address and was never able to, you know, jump through the hoops. Like as part of the acquisition, I got my username back um, because I made them fix that, <laughs> right? Um, and I hadn't bothered to, to fix it because I could, you know, it was too much work, right? Um, uh, I kept saying Google in meetings instead of Yahoo. Um, and it mm. took a long time to train myself not to say that. Um, so even then, like they weren't like a super dominant, powerful org, right? They they had it was I would say it was an attempt to regain. You know, it, it was already slipping heavily by that. Right. They 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 go on this mini acquisition spree that Delicious yeah. is a part of, Flickr is a part of, but I, I feel like there was like a dozen or so in a period of like a couple years that they. Do. I mean, I, th- I think the three big Web two point ones were upcoming Delicious. Flickr. Um, and I remember like, so for example, upcoming, I was already friends with Andy Bayo and I'm like, and he's like, Hey, you know, we got this, this acquisition offer. What do I do? And I'm like, well, first you need a lawyer. And he, he used my lawyer. Right. Um, so, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, they were, they were making moves at the time. I remember, um, the Flickr acquisition being sort of shocking. Um, they were, you know, so they were trying to regain it. And then what happened was after we got acquired, um, Yahoo Answers took off. And then they basically completely pivoted to, to focus on that and not the other stuff. Hmm. So internally, there wasn't a huge amount of focus. Well, yeah, I mean, to the extent that you want to go into this or rehash it, can you tell me, because you're with, you're with Yahoo for two or three years? Two and a half years. Um, to the extent you want to go into Yahoo's culture, um, your sense of that company in that period from the inside? I mean, I, I pushed on people a lot. Um, I was called a whiner a lot. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and it was very frustrating because I, I basically went from Morgan Stanley to startup to Yahoo. And I was frequently told, like, that's not how big companies work again and again. And I'm like, uh, not really. Um, because I'd been at a functional large organization, you know? Um, so unfortunately, you know, it was a, 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 you know, a bunch of sort of broken fiefdoms, um, lots of politics, not lots of getting things done. So it was a shame. Um, uh, and I'm not really wired for doing office politics stuff. I want to sit down, get onto the next thing and, and chip, you know? And I, I just remember the, you know, one week I had, a not incredibly minor, but relatively minor feature that got sunk by PR and HR and legal over some stupid shit. And I'm just like, what is the, you know, you know, and I'm judged on my ability to get things done. um, But you put all these people in the way. And I think large organizations tend to be like that. Um, But uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It was rough. It was, it was not something I was used to operating in. And Delicious just sort of withers on the vine within Yahoo. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, 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 I mean, there was a bunch of sort of local politics that wasn't so much corporate stuff so much as organization, you know, the local organization that was, was incredibly difficult, a bunch of stupid hurdles. So we never sort of regained the momentum. I mean, this is something I, you know, when I talk to a startup, and their competitor gets acquired, I'm like, great, they're going to now spend a year fucking around arguing with people over servers and other shit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not like actually working, right? And, and um, sort of takes them out of the game for a little bit. So it's an opportunity for you to. Or, or often permanently. And that's mm-hmm. what happened to us. And, and Flickr did a better job of isolating themselves and just, just not tolerating Yahoo shit, um, I think. But you know, I was never super close to them, so it was hard to hard for any of that to rub off. Um, back to our mutual friend here, um, but this is, you know, the, sort of the right time to ask it. Uh, in an alt- with with the with the benefit of hindsight, with you know, however, what is it, almost fifteen years now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you see? And this is impossible because you know what you know now, but if you could go back in time and tell 15 years ago, you, is there an alternative alternative universe where delicious could have become 
a large standalone company? Yeah, I think I think that there is still a couple of big opportunities. There are no no companies that really stand for the user, right? They're they're not, you know, like when you when you use a browser and connect to a server, it identifies itself. I you know my user agent is Chrome, right? And that sort of always stuck with me. Like the browser is my user agent. Right. So, so Delicious first off addressed a a failure in directly in the browser, in that the browsers were just not capable of dealing with large amounts of memory, rem- remembering lots of things for you on the web. Um, but you know, it's sort of very obvious in retrospect that that you need amplification, right? We need ampl- you know, we need mental amplification for memory, for learning, for for interacting, you know, all these things. And and what happened is that the browser is sort of firmly under the control of the site, right? The places you connect to, who often don't have the user's best interest at heart. So I think that there would there was a big opportunity and still is a big opportunity to be the user's agent in the world. Um, in in starting in memory and extending out from there. Um, the second is that we we barely have any functional cross-person um, memory or organizational systems, right? Um, you know, Slack, which is a you know an IRC chat room, I guess, um, and it seems to be sort of you know a cross between a digital water cooler and a broken wiki, right? And I can't I can't I, I've never had to use it in a professional sense, but I can't imagine it being, you know, a net positive for productivity. Um, <laughs> no comment. Um, so, you know, I think that there were a bunch of opportunities there. That said, you know, um, a, a product and a company is is functionally represented by the time it comes from and its context, right? So, um you know, I may have played it as well as I could have given what I know at the time and my skills and, you know, what the the financing uh, environment was like, right? You know, the, the investors were not super excited about it. Um, uh, they were certainly not as excited about it as, as the acquirers were, right? None of the investors for a second round came even halfway to the um, valuation of, of the acquisition. Right, um, so it was sort of a natural choice to, to to turn away from doing it as a second round, just because you know the lack of enthusiasm of the um, the investors. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure I could have played it better, but but that's you know that's not the answer to the question. Like, what could it have turned into? What could what? How big could it have been? Um, especially given how many of the the little things we did continue to influence the way stuff is built now. Uh, give me some of those. I mean, you still see tagging everywhere. Um, lots of little user interface things. Uh, apparently, my my bitching about the way RSS worked uh, and my initial suggestions. I you know I had this idea of this you know instead of just hitting a site to get the data, it'll call you back with the data. That turned into uh, webhooks. Um, so, you know, I see, I see little bits of influence sort of everywhere. Um, so it would have been nice to continue to be able to, to innovate and build things. You, you sort of mentioned this earlier and I cut you off, uh, but you know, delicious was this sort of poster child for web 2.0 and you said you don't even know what web 2.0 means. So a little thoughts on that in terms of like being a part of this era, as you're saying, and a, a part of a, a startup in this time. Um, I mean, we were we were trying to build the new thing, right? What is what is the product that people need and want? And that's that's you know sort of all I tried to do. Um, you know, even then we're like, what the hell is Web 2.0? And I mean, I think it was just a, a context for explaining the world for, um, you know, people attending O'Reilly conferences at the time, right? There was, you know, it was, it was, 
you know, the kind of people who went to the Web 2.0 conference. Well, I feel like it, I've said before, it was just, it was a shorthand for telling people the web and the internet's not over. <laughs> it wasn't just a fad. It's still a thing. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting because Delicious at the time, at that time, it was, um, you know, it wasn't done yet. It wasn't as calcified. You know, now the idea of, you know, changing the world in the context of the web is much harder, right? Like imagine, I mean, imagine, I mean, when I, I can send you the screenshots for delicious. It was super rough. I, I had to learn CSS because I wanted to put a thing on the right and not put it in tables. Um, uh, you know, it was super rough when it launched and people were tolerant of that. Now, if you go to a sort of crappy looking website, people judge it because they expect things to look much better. Like, like the, the bar is higher. Um, even though the things that we do are are less, um, you know, you know, more calcified, closer to the to the, you, you know, you see you see unusual things less often, right? So the audience is huger, but that to- that audience tolerance for novelty is probably lower, right? Um, on average, so you know, if you do something weird, um, not only does it not find its audience, but it's drowned out by something that's um, you know, more flashy or, um, or even worse designed to be abusive of people's attention. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so it's, so, you know, I think, I think what's, what's happening is that sort of the, the, um, the attention moves elsewhere. You know, you, you know, you see web 3.0 mentioned a lot and it was sort of jokingly, um, said, uh, at the time, you know, when we were like, oh, we're Web 2.0, what's Web 3.0? But now, you know, people are talking about it's these these Ethereum-based right. um, distributed finance things right, right. That, that, that I'm not convinced anybody except crypto people use. Um, you know, and maybe that's the future, but, but you, know, you know, it doesn't feel like the transformative in the same way. Um, you... Or at least not yet. Maybe it's too early. I don't know. Right, right. Listen, uh, that's that's my other podcast going on and on about that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I've I've spent, uh, you know, I I am a, I, I still build things, I still write code, I I am an active tech investor now. Right, right, right. Uh, I was going to say, keep my finger on this stuff, and I still struggle on some of these things. Like, does so, anybody want that? <laughs> for I, you know, you worked at Google for a bit, advised Walmart Labs, but but mainly you've been an investor these last few years. Um. So, I, yeah, I have mainly been an investor. I've, I've built a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I actually um, rehired some of the original Delicious team, and we're working on some ideas. Um, I have, you know, I have some crazy ideas that I'm trying to prototype. Um, many of them are too weird to actually be built. So that's a challenge. <laughs> so, see, there's no way you're going to reveal any of that to me right now, are you? Um. If I explain what I think about it now, I'll just sound crazy rather than than clever. So, um, you know. But see, that's what I want to know. (laughs) But all right, uh, reveal it in good time. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the last thing we built ended up. You know, it was an interesting idea, but it ended up um, one of the structural ideas ended up being infeasible or in conflict with one of the other ideas. So it didn't actually work. Right, so that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to to build is prototype these interesting things because many of them don't actually, you know, don't actually make sense. You know, many ideas don't make sense when you get into the details, right? Um, and that's not always apparent when you just tell someone the idea. So I I want to have a better basis of of something working. I mean, that's the hard part of engineering. Uh, uh real quick before I I get my favorite final question. Uh, you were an advisor to the HBO show Silicon Valley. Yes. Was that uh, fun, crazy, interesting? What was that like? Um, that was a lot of fun. I did probably, and everyone's like, you did a great job advising them. And, and like, they knew what they were doing. Um, I, the, the questions were often very tactical. Like, do you know someone in blockchain doing this? Because we want to ask about that. And I'd make an introduction or, you know, I get I get snippets of scenes like, "Do you know who we're referencing in this?" I'm like, "Yeah," um, 
The interesting bit is uh, the producers told me that some of the actors were interested in uh, angel investing, and, and could I talk to them? And and I did, and I, I actually dragged some of them on to um, uh, to some of the meetings with me to, with startups, and uh, and and I often wouldn't tell the startup who I was bringing, so that led to some really awesome, briefly confused reactions. Um, that's funny. So, I was just I was just listening to a podcast right before we did this uh, with Kumail. <laughs> but he's he's off in the Marvel universe now. But um, all right, the, my my favorite end ending question, and you, you were sort of started starting to get into this, um, is what are you interested in now? And it can range from you know some people have said oh it's blockchain, um, you know oh Malik it's photography or whatever. But like it it could be business stuff, it could be personal stuff. Like what is what is the thing that you are most fa- fascinated or passionate about right now? So I, I have a couple. So my my sort of day to day goof off activity. I do plotter art. I do I you know make machines and write software that draws interesting, um, uh, complicated patterns. Um, I usually tweet them. Uh, I've been trying to, I'm actually helping someone do a music video, but because the actual raw video of the music video is not available, I decided to use the, the Rickroll video. And what happens is I will, you know, I'll write my code, it will run for a few hours, and then I'll hit play to see the result, and then Rickroll myself sort of full in the face um, repeatedly. Uh, so that's been a bit traumatic. Um, I also run an event called self-racing cars where I, I, um, yeah. I, I, so I'm a, I'm a very amateur race car driver. Um, uh, you know, the, the, I drive a vehicle in the low thousands of dollars, you know, it's not like the, the super high end stuff. Uh, and, but I'm familiar with how to, you know, operate and run a day at the track. So what I do is I actually rent out a track about three and a half hours north of San Francisco, where I invite companies and startups and and universities to come to the track and tr- try um, try to get around the track. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I like robots. You know, who doesn't like robots? Um, I'm not really at the point where I could be building them safely, um, but uh, you know, I sort of want to see the future of that anyway. Um, I'm generally fascinated with um, robots and CNC and fabrication, um, so I like that a great deal. Um, so I, you know, lots of 3D printing and CNC and and that kind of stuff. Uh, well, Josh, listen, thanks, thanks for bringing the Internet History Podcast back single-handedly, and and thanks for coming on and and remembering all that for us. Thank you. 